Hi everyone, I'm Rice Ahmed and welcome to the second Scotland session in partnership with Screen Scotland. This series of online events will celebrate some of the nominees from the BAFTA Scotland Awards taking place on Saturday 20th of November. Today's session is part of BAFTA's Learning, Inclusion and Talent Development Programme, which aims to inspire industry practitioners, emerging talent and the public through sharing craft insights, championing underrepresented voices and exploring key issues facing our industry. If you'd like to catch up on any previous events, head to the BAFTA Guru YouTube channel and BAFTA SoundCloud. Now I would like to welcome our speakers. So firstly, we have Adura Anoshale, the writer and director of Expensive Shit, Grant O'Rourke, writer, actor and co-producer on Neville is Dead, and Austin McCowan, one of the directors and producers of Harmonic Spectrum. Hi guys. Hi. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? Welcome, welcome. It's really good to chat to you all today. Um, and I'm really looking forward to kind of delving into your process, learning more about the films, um, and, and being able to put some questions to you all. So I feel like the best place to start is the beginning. Um, and maybe it would be great if all of you could talk a little bit about where your films came from, how you started developing them, um, to a point where you were like, okay, this is it. This is the film that I want to make right now. Who would like to start? Should we start with you, Grant? Um, well, uh, the director, Louis Paxton, and the co-writer, co-producer, uh, who can't make it today because he's out on a recce. But um, uh, we were having a conversation one day. He'd just moved back up from London, and he was really eager to make something we'd made short films together before he was really eager for us to make something together that was uh you know indicative of the kind of work that we wanted to make so that he could you know well i guess use it as a calling card i guess for uh, future employers but also just to sort of tell a story that we wanted to tell and it was literally a conversation over lunch where he told me about an imaginary friend that he had when he was a child and i told him about my son who we discovered he had an imaginary friend when he was three and he was dragging its invisible corpse through the kitchen to put it in the bin and so we started talking about imaginary friends in general just how funny we thought it would be if a little boy had a middle-aged man as a an imaginary friend um <clears throat> and they just do boring things like uh, boring middle-aged man things like watching documentaries about bridges and um, sit around in your slippers and that yeah the idea just developed from there we just uh, we came up with the story a rough outline of the story over the lunch and, and it turned out to be a story that we really wanted to tell and and how involved was your son in that that process did he did he bring any more inspiration to to the actual script and well he actually improvised a lot of his lines when we got on set so there's there's whole scenes that he just improvised the dialogue and um some you know some scenes there was some unwelcome improvisation but uh, generally speaking he was yeah he was he was very much very collaborative it was very collaborative with him um in, the, in those terms but in terms of writing the actual script no we did that on our own <laughs> <laughs> and adura what about yourself um where, where did your film start and, and how did it become the film it is now um it started as a play of the same name um that uh premiered uh, at the edinburgh fringe in 2016 and um uh, my producers, Barry Currier, came to see the play and they thought that uh, it might be interesting for me to write for film. And I'd never 
considered doing that um but we thought that a, a, a short that focused on just the glasgow element of the story because in the play it was set in nigeria and um and scotland um yeah so i just the thought about focusing it just in the glasgow uh part of the story in one location and kind of figuring out the most important elements of the story in, in order to make a short. But it was really an experiment at the beginning of whether I could turn an hour and a half play into, <laughs> into a short film. <laughs> yeah, that's where it came from. And it works. I mean, it's quite harrowing, I have to say. Um, and that ending, I've seen it several times now, and that ending still gets me, still gets me. <laughs> Um, it's quite a feat to take something so long and, and distill the essence into a short film. So I guess you would say it's a successful experiment. Well, I mean, I think what, in a way, the restrictions of a short mean that, you know, your choices are kind of limited. So, you know, number one, you're going to be in one location. Number two, you're going to reduce your cast the most minimal. Um, you're going to find an arc of the story that can fit within 15 minutes. So with not too much backstory, it's got to feel like it almost starts at the inciting incident and moves, you know, kind of. So all these choices you have to make, um, the feel like restrictions are actually really, really helpful. Um, well, in my case, they were because they allowed me to condense a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue into <laughs> something much more visual. Yeah. Great, thank you. And Austin, I mean, I guess you're beginning from a place where you don't necessarily have a, a script. Um, where where did you where did you find the subject matter? Where did you find your subject? Um, how how did how did the documentary come about? Uh, yeah, so we so Will and I Will can't be with us uh, tonight. He's working at the moment, but um, we co-directed the film and we had co-directed. Uh, another film about the piano drone, which is a, a central kind of location in harmonic spectrum uh, a couple of years before. So we had initially, we'd, we'd come across that community of people and towards the end of post-production of that film, we met Sean, um, who had very recently sort of wandered into the piano drone because he'd heard the sounds of them pulling apart of the piano and just popped his head in. Um, and at that time, he was in a place that was a bit less, he, he was a little bit less, um, he wasn't managing his music the same way that he kind of is now. He was a little bit more distracted. But the piano drum gave him a place where he, he kind of kept coming back and he found this musical community that was helping him kind of focus on, on the music he was making. So we, uh, we, we kind of felt at that point like, oh man, I wish Sean had come here while we were making this other film. And we'd met him while we were making the piano drum film because he was such an interesting character. Um, so then what, what happened with us was we, we put the idea into a bit of a pitch format and pitched it to Bridging the Gap, the Scottish Documentary Institute, um, short filmmaking, documentary making program. And that kind of got the ball rolling for us. Where it was like, okay, we could make something about Sean, Sean as an individual. And like you say, we, we started without a script, as, as, as kind of often happens in documentary, you have one idea and then it goes a completely different direction. So, yeah, from the outset, we knew that Sean was an interesting character. We knew that we, we wanted to make a film about him and we just kind of got, got started with that. So, yeah, the piano drum was the, the sort of the meeting point. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe, maybe now is a good point to ask the question around the development then of that. At what point? Did you know exactly the story that you wanted to tell? Because it's, am I right in saying 
lockdown happen during the process of filming or did it happen um, after, kind of before you started filming? What, what was that sort of journey? Is it, is it the film that you imagined that you were going to make or, or are you surprised by, by what you've got now? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, I don't know if ever being surprised by what comes out when you're making a documentary, I, I, I would never, I don't think I would ever set out to make a documentary and know what the intention is from the outset. It was always like um, going to evolve. But yes, lockdown happened in the middle of the, of the filming process and was a major kind of curveball. We had initially planned on making the film about Sean and it was going to be much more of a character study and a little bit more about how he uses music as this tool to help him you know, manage the world. And it's his kind of window into his own emotions and his window into the world and his access point to all these this this community that's that helps him kind of helps him get by in his life. But when he met Anthony, who's another another main character in the film, it, it began to go in a different direction from that point. And that was pre-lockdown. They started playing together. So already from from that kind of early onset moment, we were we were deviating away from from what the story was going to be. And then they got locked down. So they got locked down together and that was a major kind of shift in, in, in where the story was going. They had initially booked flights to go to Europe and before lockdown happened, they were gonna to go tour around Europe a bit and show their music around. Uh, they had flights booked to Prague and we were trying to get over to Prague. We were like, oh, we need to get over there. We did it. Um, and that kind of, that ended and we just had to, to run with it after that, so. No surprises, but I think at the end of the day, it's quite an it's quite an enjoyable experience trying to kind of think of the story as it's going on and, and also know when to stop, realize when it comes to an end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that relationship really works. For me, it definitely did having Anthony in there um, and, and bringing a different sort of perspective to, to Sean's life experiences and, and, and what he's kind of forced, the decisions he's forced to make. Um, in terms of, so Grant, I'm going to pull you back in now. In terms of development, um, what was your development process like? Um, did, did you have producer, other producers, other voices that came in that helped you? Was it just the, the was it you and Louis, just the two of you kind of yeah. working on it? Yeah, it was just uh, Louis and I, we've worked together before. We've done, you know, we've made kind of guerrilla style uh, short films. And because we're much more interested in comedy as well, it, it becomes, uh, it comes quite natural, I guess, the working relationship that we have. So yeah, we didn't, uh, we decided that we just wanted to make it ourselves. And we literally had an ideas meeting. We sat down, we had a, a meeting where we just developed what the bones of it would be. And we had another meeting where we just, laid out every scene in the script the story itself was so we were so kind of galvanized by the story and so keen to tell the story that it all just kind of fell into place so we did, we weren't agonizing over that at all it was a very quick process and it was because the two of us like louis was directing it and i was going to be in it um and we were both producing it it was yeah we just got to move as fast as we wanted basically which was great it was um we knew it was the right story to tell so it kind of it all just fitted into place quite nicely and in terms of funding, um, was that just the two of you doing your own thing? Did you do any crowdfunding? Did you get no, funding from anyone else? No, we were we were lucky in that as an act, myself as an actor and Louis as a director and writer, we'd been working a fair bit. So we decided to just fund it ourselves. The most important thing that we said from day one is that we wanted to 
stripped down crew, small cast, but we wanted to make sure that everybody got paid a day's wage as well as, you know, the expenses on top of it. That was important. I think when you're sourcing crew and you're sourcing actors, um, I think, you know, good professionals are willing to do you a favor, I guess, um, when they believe in the story. And I feel like because they could see that we were passionate about it and, you know, they could see our heart in the story. And I think they, uh, yeah, they were, so everybody was paid. Uh, my son got a holiday to Blackpool out of it, actually. So he was the <laughs> highest paid at a lot of them. And Louis and I didn't get paid. So, yeah, we, we just decided to... So we didn't have to sort of traverse the kind of labyrinthine funding platforms out there. We just we decided to do it ourselves. And um, it, it gave us the option to be able to just have a really quick turnaround as well. We, it was about two or three months from the initial conception by the time we got it, when we finished shooting, I think. And did, did you shoot during the pan, during lockdown and, and that sort it was, of period? It was just before. But actually, in retrospect, I've been on a lot of sets since the lockdown now, and I'm aware of uh, COVID practice very heavily. And we were actually operating a pretty COVID-safe set, it turns out. Because it was most of it was exteriors anyway, so, yeah. you know, and a lot of singles. So there was uh, there was no harm in that, no challenge in that respect. Okay. And, and Adura, what about yourself? I mean... So you've got this this play that you're condensing into this short film. Did did you have a script editor you were working with helping you through that? Was it just your producers? What what was the process for you in terms of development? Um, I applied to what was then SFTN, which is now short circuit. Well, it's different. It's short circuit now, and um, they have a, a process where you apply and then you over six months you develop your. Um, you develop the script essentially. So I, uh, I think 16 of us originally went on, we were all together. Um, and in that process, yes, we worked with the script editor and the producers kind of chiseling the script out. And then, um, and then there was another round of pitches once you had your script. And then I think six films out of 15 were chosen to get a, a, a sum of money to make the short. So. Yeah, it was um, it was a bit of a process, definitely. Jumping hoops and it felt quite competitive, but um, but really nurturing as well. But I think ultimately in those kind of schemes, you're always aware that you know you're in competition with others, and that's not always great. I think. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. I absolutely feel that. And it, it's a journey, isn't it? Whatever, whether you're making drama or documentary, and whatever process you're going through you are finding um, that you have moments where you feel really challenged and then on reflection, you're, you're kind of feeling of that changes. Um, in terms of like filming um, during kind of that sort of pandemic period, you've all done some level of filming during that pandemic period and you've all worked pre-pandemic. Um, and now I guess we're still mid-pandemic. What, what are the things that you found um, have changed for the better what are the what are the big challenges that you think on a short film level that um we're facing that that can be whether it's kind of money that makes it restrictive or, or other things what are the things what's the learning that, that's kind of come out of it i think as a as a documentary maker i think it's maybe we've been less it depends on the sorts of stories you're telling but because your relationships with your contributors are often quite personal, 
um, and you're not often on sets with, with large crews and that sort of thing. We've found it, you know, we've obviously adopted safe practices in how we deal with our contributors and, and the way we film. But um, I wouldn't say for me, there's been a huge change. There's been a strange amount of like unusual not peace and quiet, but feeling a little bit, um, so the, the development of our film was part of bridging the gap and you're in there in a room with 12 other filmmakers who all have films and that was quite a collaborative process and then in the middle of it it was the, the sort of shutting down of that um collaboration that i found the strangest element of covid was all of a sudden will and i were kind of isolated making the film speaking to people on zoom and the whole post-production could have happened in that way we never met our coloristic person we never sat in to do the sound mix all that kind of stuff which it makes you feel slightly distanced and and i don't know um we're very happy with the work that was done like there like john bruce and, and leslie from uh, savalas did our our um post-production were amazing and what we got back was incredible but it is just a little bit of that that uh, filmmaking process that felt like it was lacking the some real life substance a wee bit for me but i don't know if it's different for you guys making dramas i suppose I just, I'm going to grab a charger quickly, so I'm going to turn my video up. I think um, we were in post-production during the first lockdown. And so editing and all of all of post-production was done remotely. So, but I had nothing to compare it to because I'd never been in that process before. So I was like, this is great. I, I, I don't know what the alternative is. Even when we premiered, I've not watched the film with an audience ever. I've never, I've not been to a premiere. So the whole experience for me has been remote, if you know what I mean. And I have nothing, it, it was the first short film I made, I'm, I've made, so nothing to compare it to. <laughs> I guess that's an advantage, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when that's, that's the, the first kind of experience. What about yourself, Grant? Were, did you, were you all able to sit in a room together and edit or were you doing that remotely? Um, well, Louis took care of the editing. Louis edited uh, himself. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I've been on a lot of uh, sets since the new protocols have been put in place. Mm -hmm. And from an actor's point of view, it's not hugely different than it was before. There's just a lot more space given to everyone. That, to be honest, it, it feels great to be surrounded by people who are switched on and aware of what the situation is and you know sometimes um they're actually I'm, the thing that i'm shooting just now there's a lot of socially distanced blocking of actors and i didn't realize it was happening until about halfway through the shoot that uh, everybody was being positioned in a way that we were never really that close to anyone so it's it's sort of testament to how efficient everyone's getting at it now that you can kind of you don't even notice sometimes there's there's positives in everything eh um, and in terms of finding collaborators, um, we, you know, we're hearing at the moment how busy everything is and, and how hard it is to get crew. And I suppose pretty much all of these films were made a, about a year to two years ago. Um, what was the process that you went through to, to find your collaborators? Are they people that you've, you've kind of worked with time and time again? Um, how do you go about finding the people that you want to work with? Um, I think, but interestingly, the so I mean, it's it's an easy one for me because I kind of collaborate with Will a lot. We share an office, and uh, we're you know we're kind of best pals, so we're we're always together anyway. Um, uh, but some of the other collaborators that came on the on the project was it was more towards the kind of post production end, um, and we 
it's, I actually met John Bruce, who ended up being our colorist at the at like a screening in Glasgow just before uh, lockdown at the Glasgow Film Festival the year before. And that was, it was kind of like, I'm going to reinstigate that real life connection in sort of in, in this collaboration. So it was a bit more of a, yeah, it was kind of delving back into the people that I'd met while out in the real world. And I don't know, I've not really done much networking or finding new collaborators can be uh, can be challenging when you're when you're actually restricted to the kind of online space because it well it works really well for um, efficiency and stuff like that it's kind of awkward to be super efficient when you're networking online it's a bit it's a bit strange I find and there's a lack of that kind of substance or the in-betweenness the kind of serendipitous encounters that you can can have at pitching forums or at film festivals or you know these other kind of collaborative spaces. The spark you can't you can't see feel the spark online can you of knowing whether or not someone's someone that you want to work with um and what about yourself grant um, i mean the team that you've got I, I think david who's the the dop on it has worked mm -hmm. with louis quite a lot before hasn't he yeah um, and, and and other team members are the people that you've worked with time and time again or were you finding yeah. new crew? yeah it's, it's those sort of connections that you have if you're already working in the profession the connections that you have with people that you've worked before are so valuable um particularly you know when you're asking them to work for maybe less money than they maybe used to and to get them to believe in the script you know the um it's important so louis he's a director and he has connections with lots of crew and uh, the people who handle the post side of it and I was in charge of casting um, and I had I had my son so I just provided him and also Isabel MacArthur who as well as being an amazing writer is also a brilliant actress and she was um, she was yeah she was the first person that we thought of so it kind of it was yeah everybody it was great that everybody was willing um, to, to work on it. It really made the whole process much easier for us in that respect. Great, and Adura, I suppose with this being your first short film, how, how did you decide on who you wanted to work with? I mean, was there was there a real sort of nervousness around making those decisions? I mean, I, I, really, uh, I really love sort of the pitch document you put together that you send to people um, that you're interested in, because I think it's all about, it's just having this document that people can respond to and, and that can start a conversation. And being able to talk about how I saw the film visually, how I saw it in terms of its casting, what I wanted to achieve with sound, being able to put all of that on paper and share it with people, it became really obvious that people who kind of, it resonated with and people it was a little bit more difficult with, for, I suppose. Um, I found that much more helpful than going in blind and kind of discussing what my idea is or what I wanted to do with the film. I'd already produced this thing that had a lot of the heart of what I wanted to do with the film. And so, yeah, I didn't find it that difficult. Um, kind of, it's just that thing, isn't it? When somebody, when a story resonates with someone, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly because they are able to elevate what you've written to another level. I always use that as my benchmark. Can you lift what I've done? Can you make it better just in, in this first chat in, even? And um, that's generally been a good barometer for, um, for finding collaborators, but nothing, nothing can really prepare you for this. If you don't, if you've not been in the space with someone and that spark that we talk about, 
you know, nothing can prepare you for that, but meeting people face to face. But um, we managed. We were all right. <laughs> and did you find the same with casting? Did you have your did you have your leads in, in mind or was that was that a search as well that happened after you had the script? That was a search as well. I knew that. Um, well, I, I, I wanted to I wanted to cast the black lead and um, a black female lead. And unfortunately, there weren't very many options in Scotland. So I had to go down south for that. Um, and uh, so that was like that was a remote casting. The rest was face to face and actors I knew already, actors I'd worked with or I'd seen and I was interested in working with. But yeah. Because it's cause the film is really about grief, isn't it? And mm-hmm. and and did you did you find that you you felt that you had to reach out to to any sort of organisations or people that had been through that process? I think well, I think with any story, if the if you're if you're successful and try to write something that's just truthful about uh, human experience and personal experience, and you know the film is about the the capacity of children you know to to be able to process their own grief and the resilience that we all kind of have to process grief um it felt it felt personal and truthful enough that we didn't you know it, it all just fit into place and you know once we started to realize it was about grief and we started to be a bit more um labored not labored necessarily but you know we started to have the, the magnus go through the seven stages of grief um, it kind of, yeah, it clicked into place and it kind of made sense. And I don't think we were, yeah, we weren't really concerned that what we were saying wasn't completely truthful, completely from the heart and something that we can all uh, kind of process. And, you know, I haven't had it like, um, like a dude, I haven't seen it with an audience yet. I have no idea what people think of it. But a lot of people have been in touch and, um, you know, some people have talked about how they passed it on to uh, grief counsellors that work with children. I don't know uh, how young the children are. I hope they're not too young <laughs> for some of the content, but <clears throat> um, we're, we're, we were, yeah, we were delighted with the impact that it was kind of having with people. It did seem to resonate. And I think if you're just telling sort of simple human stories, then that always tends to be the case. It's hard to be inaccurate in that respect. Yeah. And actually, you've touched upon something there. Um, and Austin kind of spoke about it as well. Have So have any of you seen your films with an audience in person? Or has it all been online? And and what has that experience been if it's only been online? Like, you know, what, how, how do you, how do you gauge reactions? How do you, um, as a filmmaker, what what does that feel like not having been in a room with people watching the film? I mean, I think there's something like one of my favorite things about art in any form is kind of how uh, ethereal and transient it is. Like I do a lot of theater. So the fact that the, every single performance I do is just a it's a, it's a one off uh, that night that's never going to be repeated and it just disappears into a vacuum so and I'm not as an actor I'm not really a fan of watching stuff at premieres anyway that I'm in so it's um it's been to be honest it's kind of uh refreshing and kind of it's nice to just be able to put it out there and know that people have experienced it and not have to deal with them face to face you know (laughs) I think for me personally I kind of enjoy that to just make something for people and give it to them and then not have to um explain it too much or you know gauge people's responses yeah it's just out there 
Adula, you come from a theatre background as well, um, and kind of a performance background. How has it been sharing, you know, this this piece of work, which it comes from a, a almost like a career change in a sense, a medium change, I guess, um, and not having been in a room with people. Watch, I'm, I'm right in saying you've not been in a room with people watching it yet, am I? Exactly. No. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's weird. I can totally agree with what Grant is saying that there's something very nice about going my work is done over to you um but also there's and I know I would hate it the feeling in the pit of my stomach would be awful if I sat in an audience and watched my film and could actually feel people's reactions but I still think it's something I would have loved to have experienced no matter what their reactions were just to be in that environment because I've I've it would have been a new experience um yeah, so it's been really, for me, it's been really interesting not really knowing what people's reactions are, really. I mean, not really knowing how they feel about, you know, the piece and the character and that kind of stuff. There's been a couple of reviews and stuff like that, but yeah, and friends, obviously, but yeah, kind of like, a, I have no sense of what anybody else thinks, yeah. I mean, it'll it'll be interesting when you when you have your first in person viewing of whether it's this or, or your next project. Austin, was your premiere online as well? And, and then the festival you've done recently, that was the first in person, is that right? Uh, yes, there was one festival uh, that was the Neurostages Festival that I talked about. And Will and Sean actually went down to London on Friday uh, for the Doc and Roll Film Festival. So that's the second one. I wasn't there for that one, unfortunately, but apparently it got a very, you know, very warm reception there as well. But yeah, it was really, it is, it's been, I remember feeling very strange when we had our online premieres. It's kind of a weird feeling knowing that other people are watching it, but you can't see their reactions. And I think that's the, that is the thing that you kind of miss, even if, you know, you want, there's, there's something really special about those first few times where you see people um, reacting to your film. Um, but yeah, it, it's been, it's hopefully, I think we've got another one coming up. I think the day before the BAFTA Awards, we've got it in a, the Leaflet film, the Leaflet Festival. And Sean's actually going to play some live music at the event as well, which is in Leith in Edinburgh. So if anyone's around, um, that'd be a place to see the film. Why don't we then take a few audience questions? Um, so the first one I've got here is someone saying they're a graduate located in Spain. Would you say Scotland is a good place to develop film and TV projects? From your experiences, is Scotland the place to be? I mean, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Scotland. So like, I'm always, you know, any talented people around the world, please come here, um, both as an actor or a storyteller or a writer or whatever. Um, I'm always keen to work with new, interesting people. So yeah, please do come along. I think there's an amazing industry here. I, I think that uh, the arts community, and I come from a theatre background, and I feel like I've been in Scotland for 11 years, and I think it's it's nurtured. I found it a really nurturing and inspiring environment to make art. So I'd agree with Grant. Like It's a good place to make work. Um, yeah. Great. Um, Adura, we have a question for you. We have a couple of questions for you, actually. Um, we've got one here that um, someone is asking, would Adura be interested in adapting a theatre show into a short film again, or vice versa? And if so, is there anything she would do differently this time to translate from stage to screen? Uh, 
wow, I'm actually going to say no. There's nothing I do differently. I I was more satisfied artistically with the film than I was with the theatre production, interestingly. And I think it's because I didn't go far enough in the theatre production. And I, would, I pushed myself morally with the film. So that was, yeah, that feel, felt like a more fulfilling process. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Vice versa, would I turn a short film into a theatre production? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> that would be quite a task. And... And the thing is, the difference between theatre and film, I mean, you'll know this as well, Grant, like, your storytelling can be just so much more succinct on film. And in theatre, generally, everybody has to tell you what's going on um, or talk about what's going on. And if you're not, like, the best at dialogue, which I'm not, um, it's not, uh, I find film a much more liberating medium in that sense. It does. I think it does. It's almost like it's a challenge of constraints that can be a good thing is is kind of what you're saying, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like my theatre characters waffle a lot. <laughs> a lot of waffle. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, we waffle in real life, don't we? It's true to life. Um, OK, here's one for both of you. Maybe we stamp, start with Grant on this one. Um, did you think that when you made your films that they that we would be sitting here having this conversation as a BAFTA-nominated film, or were they just passion projects and they've worked out in a really brilliant way for you? The second one, absolutely. I mean, we, we you know, we wanted to make it just to show people what kind of stories we were interested in telling. And um, it was a complete shock to... Yeah, it was an absolute wonderful surprise that we got nominated for it. So this is more than we could have hoped um, would, you know, uh, we'd find the film. And, you know, we're, we're happy that a lot of people saw it online. Um, but yeah, we, we had no intention of <clears throat> of um, trying to get nominated for an award. It's, it's, uh, it's just uh, some nice gravy, I guess. <laughs> what about yourself, Adira? Uh, I, I, does does anybody make a film just to get awarded? I don't know. It seems weird, right? Like you make it to make to be able to achieve your vision and to be able to, you know, to be able to do what you set out to do and you hope to succeed to do. So, for me, you know, expensive shit was uh, it was like magic to me. I, I absolutely loved the process and I was really chuffed at the film we made. And so I was already like buzzing to be honest and. Um, and then to get this on top of that with the films, the other films that are nominated and the standard, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's amazing. Um, okay, we've got, we've got loads of questions here. Um, here's a good one. Luke is asking, what does the panel think that are the most common mistakes made in short film projects? And what advice would you give in avoiding those mistakes? I mean, from I, like I talk about story a lot, but I kind of feel like whether you're a director, a writer, an actor, whatever you're doing, you're you're telling stories from different perspectives, and like if you're if that story isn't potent and, and a powerful story that you really need to tell that 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 you can hear that you can see before you you start getting into it, I kind of that's that can sometimes show up. So you know. If you're gonna go half-assed in a story that you're not really into, that's that sometimes translates, I think. Whereas when it's kind of a, if it's a story that's just bursting to get out of you, then 
that uh, that carries it along and that kind of yeah believe in what you're believe in the story that you're telling because if you don't nobody else is going to that's a good answer what about you Adura any any mistakes trying to think there were probably a lot I've kind of forgotten the question what's the question the question is um what do you think are the most common mistakes on short film projects and do you have any advice on how on how people would avoid those mistakes Somebody gave me a piece of advice that I love, which was uh, get in late and leave early with short films. And I think what they meant was um, kind of don't do a lot of exposition, don't do a lot of rambling, get into your story at the point where it's most dynamic and leave before you've tied up all the bows. And I, I you know, I'm kind of, kind of resolved everything. Um, and I really love that as, as a kind of uh, advice, but mistakes, I can't really, <laughs> can't really think of any right now. Um, no, I can't think of any, but that would be the one advice I'd give, definitely. Thank you. Grant, um, one for you. How did your son react to the news of the nomination and does he have aspirations to become an actor? Uh, I don't think he's that interested in acting on screen anymore. <laughs> I don't know if he ruined it for him. But you nipped it in the bud. <laughs> he was, well, you know, he was so good, but also he was eight when he filmed it. And so he's carrying this huge emotional, um, the through line of the story at eight years old. So, you know, he has, it, when we were shooting it, there, there was a lot of footage that we couldn't use, obviously, of he and I bickering because he'd do a beautiful take and like as a as a proud dad and an actor, and I'm, I'm sort of watching it uh, and just full of emotion. And then he just like wink at the camera at the end, or he dab because he was bored. <laughs> so it's like then your producer hats on. It's just the two of us, just like how could you dab? That's so unprofessional. So I don't think he was. Um, and also I think he was kind of shocked by how boring it is to make a film. So he, we he did amazingly considering how much we were asking of him. Um, but he did a couple of auditions for voice auditions for things, but he's, you know, he's kind of like, he can take it or leave it, which I think is probably the best possible attitude you could have to the industry um, at his age. And we're not, we don't want to push him into it or anything. But um, yeah, he's, I don't know if he wants to be an actor. Um, I hope we haven't ruined it for him, but um, <laughs> we'll see. Thank you. I mean, he'll, he'll pick it up if it's something that he loves. He might become a director. You never know. Yeah, he'd be more suited to that, I would imagine. <laughs> um, what is the one piece of advice you would give yourselves if you had to start your project over again? Probably that you have a lot of freedom, much more freedom in the edit. Uh, there's like this massive pressure to get your script absolutely on point in terms of story, like, and that's what the film is going to be. And I think because it was my first... Um, yeah, first time I'd worked in film, it didn't occur to me. I didn't realize just how much freedom you have in the edit to reconstruct the story and reimagine it and think about it in a slightly different way. So I wish I'd known that. Um, yeah. And um, sorry, I just waffled on there on mute for a second. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like literally, I don't. Everything, every project that I ever do, whatever it is, um, in whatever capacity I'm doing it, and I come away with regrets about something. Um, 
so I think I guess the advice I would give myself on everything is just be go easy on yourself you know it's never going to be perfect but you just got to try and make it as just yeah it's 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 find that find that peace that you find once you've finished it you know early on it'll probably make Mm -hmm. the whole process a lot easier and I guess tied into that a little bit Erin's asking for shorts on a budget have you been driven to learn new skills or, or take on new roles kind of on the spot and did you find yourself wanting to do more of whatever that might be on future projects so because of the nature of such low budget levels um were there new skills that that kind of came about that you're like yep I love this I'm going to keep doing this well I had to um we like so I had to write a little bit of music for it because we got sick of listening to copyright free music um for hours on end and all being terrible and it's not that I walked away we I mean we also had to sort of design the costumes ourselves and I didn't walk away thinking I want to do any of these things but I did walk away with a renewed respect for people that do actually do it it's um it's way harder than I thought it was Adura and Austin, any response to that at all? I think you're, you're kind of always learning these skills. I don't know, uh, big budget or, well, not had a big budget yet, but big budget or low budget, I feel like you're always going to be learning new things on a, on a project. But um, I suppose we try to hone our craft a wee bit more at being location sound recordists, especially because of the pandemic requirements. It's like working with as small a crew as possible and um, trying to, yeah, trying to be as much of a, a one well, small operation. You, you kind of get a bit better at the things that, because it is very difficult to be a proper location sound recordist, especially when there's a guy plonking around on pianos and, and running about quite a lot and you're in a jazz bar and you're, you know, it can be quite, can be quite a lot to, to deal with but um, yeah that would be my contribution. I mean for me everything absolutely everything Riza was, was a experience <laughs> everything everything um, so I can't pick any one thing like making the short film was like being thrown into a whirlwind it's like this other world um, for five days and just like I mean, it, it was phenomenal, but yeah, it was the seat of my pants, definitely. And I had to, I had to work quickly and dynamically. And um, yeah, I, I feel like there were tons of things I learned about communication, about working with actors, uh, every aspect really, um, liaising with crew, all the pre-production stuff, the post stuff, everything was just, yeah, massive learning experience, massive learning curve. I should say. <laughs> we like a curve in storytelling. We like the curves. Um, Austin, a couple of questions for, he, for you here, which I'm going to kind of combine. Um, when you met Sean and, and got to know him and found out his story, how quickly did you realise, you know, he needs to be in this documentary? He's a subject here. Um, and then the second sort of question for you would be, um, is factual your thing? Is that what you want to keep doing? Or do you think you, you would ever think of like moving into drama? Um, so yeah, to the first question, I think I kind of touched on it earlier, but um, we wished we'd met Sean earlier for the, the film we were making about the piano drum. But um, in hindsight, 
being able to give Sean his own platform in Harmonic Spectrum was a great thing. Uh, and I think we, we, when we met Sean, yes, we did feel like he could be like, we could make the film all about him. He'd be such a compelling person to, to follow and, and to document and to tell his story. And uh, yeah, I think it was almost like instantaneous. It was about finding the right uh, platform. I think we knew it wasn't going to be like a, a massive, like a sort of long, long-form documentary, even a kind of medium-form documentary, but um, the Scottish Documentary Institute's Bridging the Gap uh, competition for development. It's a development um, it's a development scheme. And in the end, it is, like you kind of mentioned earlier, Adura, it's a bit competitive when you get, you realise you're actually pitching against everyone and you all want the same thing. Um, but finding Bridging the Gap was our kind of way to sort of give us the set the boundaries and give us a bit of direction in terms of like, okay, let's tell Sean's story in this amount of time and in this format and develop it uh, in that way. Um, I guess, secondly, about whether or not we turn to drama. Um, I find that there's like a lot of inherent drama to, to documentary filmmaking and there's something about, I've never been so much like Will and I, the way we work, it's, it's very um, conversational. We find things and we sort of go, oh, that was interesting. What do you think about this? And there's some things pass us by and then other things will stick. And it's like Sean's a really good example of someone who we both immediately agreed, like this could be, um, this could be a really interesting film. Um, but we're not, yeah, we don't, we don't really see ourselves moving into drama uh, anytime soon. We just made our first feature-length documentary as well, and that was another um, another kind of learning curve. Um, but again, there's there's having now now being at the end of that. I think if you'd asked that question like sort of six months ago, like whether we were enjoying the process, you know, it can be really challenging at times, but it's very rewarding to see real people see themselves on screen and, and see their stories told. And I think there's there's something so rewarding about. Um, being able to give that to your contributors and being able to have an audience also resonate with their story that is why we are so passionate about making documentary I think. Thank you and um, I, th I think this will have to be our last question. Um, what are you guys doing now? What's what I mean a couple of you I know have um, features either in the works or, or, or kind of going out uh, being distributed now but what, what are you doing now? What's next for you all? I've just, we just wrapped uh, the shoot of a feature a couple of weeks ago. So I'm currently um, in the edit. Uh, yeah, and I'll be doing that for a good few months. Um, yeah, that's, that's what, yeah, I've been doing. That's where my mind is and yeah, has been. How was that in comparison to the, the short? <laughs> Uh, let's just say like a massive steep learning curve again, um, but also shooting in this time, you know, like there's like shooting during a pandemic and with the amount of lack of crew in Scotland at the moment, especially for low budget features. So, um, you know, you can't compete with Amazon and you can't, you know, you can't compete with the bigger TV things being shot here at the moment. So finding crew was actually really, really tough. And sometimes retaining crew was tough as well. And doing all that within the pandemic 
was already yeah created some challenges but everybody just kind of yeah stuck with it because they were invested in it and that meant a lot to me but it, it was challenging yeah great um austin you guys have got a documentary doing the rounds at the moment at the cinemas is that right well so we've not actually released the film yet but it was made so we've got our first feature documentary it's called long live my happy head um and it's about a scottish comic book artist called gordon shaw uh, and gordon has a, a brain tumor and creates comic books about his experience of of, of living with a, with a brain tumor um but it's also again uh, we were making the film simultaneously with harmonic spectrum and COVID happens right in the middle um and it's as much a film about gordon and his comic books as it is about him and his boyfriend who lives in the states and it's about how they're they're trying to sort of be together so it's a bit of a, a love story um there as well but that it will be on bbc scotland in 2022 so we are still trying to get it into film festivals but um yeah we've had it we had a select few little preview screenings around the place but we are um yeah still looking to, to do a proper release in the new year it was very important to us to get the film out quite soon um because <clears throat> to allow Gordon and um, his loved ones and Sean, his partner, to see the film uh, because Gordon's tumour is inoperable and, and it, you know, it's really unpredictable and that is kind of the thing with, with, with brain cancer. So it was very important for us to, to allow him to see it. And that was a really incredible screening to, to do that at the film house in Edinburgh. It was amazing to, for them to see it. But yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Thank you. And Grant, what about yourself? Uh, well, Louis and I both have our individual careers that we're, uh, you know, currently in the middle of. So I just had my first play produced and um, filming a TV drama, which Louis Paxton is also directing as well, coincidentally. And the, but as far as the projects that we want to do together, we were sort of discussing next steps. We also have a, an amazing screenplay that Louis's written that we're we've been developing for a couple of years that we're just we're just navigating the process of trying to get people to give us money to make it. So money, please. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the people with money that want to invest in film, we have the talent right here. Um, thank you so much to all three of you for giving up your time today, sharing your knowledge and your experiences. Um, I'd like to thank the audience as well for your questions. Um, you can watch the 2021 BAFTA Scotland Award Ceremony on the 20th of November at 4.30 on BAFTA Scotland's um, uh, Instagram and Facebook and so on. Um, good luck, guys. All the films are amazing. Um, and to be honest, I think I think they should all be given it. Share it out. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Um, please do join in the conversation on BAFTA Scotland social channels. And thank you for joining us and good night, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, Riza. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Riza. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Good luck. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, you too, again. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org. <laughs>